It's the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, the celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we're learning from Lazola Gola. Now, Laz is a comedian, he's a writer, and he's a director. And he's been in the comedy game for quite some time now. I think he started he started in high school. I know that. It was either he started writing in grade 9 or he started writing in grade 10. And then he started performing in grade 10 or 11. You'll, you'll find out soon enough. Like, it's, it's coming just now. He'll, he'll tell you himself. Uh, so yeah, Laz has been in the game for quite a long time. And he's fucking hilarious, man. He's definitely one of my favorite comics in the country. I enjoy his shit a lot. I enjoy the way his brain works and the way he presents his ideas. And in this podcast, is we talk about uh, both those things. How, how his brain works and how he presents his ideas. Uh, but yeah, he's been doing stand-up comedy since high school, which you should give you some encouragement if you're you know a bit younger. It's, it's never, you're never too young to start, although he's now doing something different, or he's doing more. He's not, not doing comedy at all, you know, he is still doing comedy. I think I said that all correctly, and if I didn't, hopefully I'll edit it to sound like I did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's still doing comedy, obviously, but he's also now taken on the role of director for films, and... Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty, I mean, it's a big jump, but not really, and it's something that he's taken his time with, He's he knows, just like comedy is a long journey, that directing is also a long journey, and that he's going to learn a lot, and he's going to pick up a lot, and just this new side has really, you know, opened up his mind to what's possible, and what he can do, in terms of comedy, as well as in other aspects, and so... Yeah, this is a really cool conversation. Uh, I have to tell you, I have to say that. I'm not going to tell you, yo, this was a shit conversation. You shouldn't listen to this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the truth. This is a great conversation, and you should listen to it. I don't know if that there just sounded like I was lying to you, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just like, I get over starting every time going, yeah, this was a good conversation, but maybe I should change that. And I guess I just did. Hey, look at that. What, what we, just, we just shared a podcasting moment. Uh, but yeah, this was a great conversation. And I, yeah, I learned a lot. And I've been thinking a lot since having this conversation. So that's cool. Because we, we chatted on Tuesday. And Tuesday was like the end of uh, like a weekend of just downness. Like laugh, laugh, laugh wasn't good for me for those couple of days had some weird vibes with friends like those are some inconsiderations i guess and paranoia from my side i guess and that led to some shitty vibes because isolation sucks and (laughs) then after that i my, my tuesday started with a phone call from i'm not gonna say who but like a fairly prominent south african comedian and I like well he reached out to me being like, Yo, I hope you're good, Bob. You know, like let me know if anything's ever up or anything like that. And I was like, Yeah man, like shit's been a little weird 
And then he was like, yeah, man, shit's being a little weird. And so I called him, and then we got into the meaninglessness of life. And that was uh, a fun 50-minute call, you know? <laughs> but it really was actually quite useful, uh, for me at least. I, you know, felt less lonely and felt, yeah, like if if someone like the person who I spoke to is thinking these things and going through these sorts of things and just, you know, dealing with this overwhelming situation in kind of similar ways to me in certain aspects that, yeah, it makes me feel a little less alone. Although it definitely made me feel a bit more worried about him. Like, I was just like, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check up on you a bit more, bro. So, yeah, like, I was I was a bit down <laughs> uh, on, on Tuesday and just had worked through some shittiness. But then this conversation, actually, by the end of it, I was feeling really inspired and really, like, motivated. And just my brain was starting to fire up again. And then uh, I did, like, a... 45-minute sesh, bro, in the gym or on my yoga mat. <laughs> same thing, same thing, bro, home gym these days. But yeah, like I did that, I started like eating healthy again because as you know, when you're down in the dumps a bit, you you start dipping into the, <laughs> the fried shit and the, the chips. God damn, I love, I love chips, but I know, I know that like if I want to, you know, survive the zombie apocalypse, I need my heart to be pumping at full speed, like when I'm 60, like I maybe not even when I'm 60, maybe in three years time, because who knows, like this novel coronavirus could get even more novel. So yeah, like I'm back, I'm feeling now, like on Friday, well it's Thursday night that I'm doing this, feeling good man, I'm feeling back in the game and it's like, it sucks that this thing is such a roller coaster and plays on the emotions and yeah, just really, this whole situation has, yeah, like, it's ups and downs, because we even chat about it in this podcast, you know, Laz even says, you know, the first two months for him were this cool period to reflect and take time, and, you know, like, I think, for me, it's been, I even mentioned in this podcast, you know, it's an opportunity to try different things, but then there's so many other aspects of it, obviously, that are just... Oh yeah, the world is burning. Cool. That sucks. Uh, how am I meant to find meaning in my life when like I can't even leave the flat kind of shit? But you can. You can find meaning in your life. I hope we all find it in different ways. Me, I find it in uh, talking into a microphone whilst looking at the little squiggly line go up and down. And I hope that's when you hear this that in some way it entertains you, or at least is uh, relatable, because that's that's the thing, isn't it? We're just trying to relate to each other, we're just trying to connect, we're just trying to be human beings. And, uh, I don't know, it's... The worst sides of humanity are definitely coming out a lot of the time at the moment, but you've got to just look at... You look for the positives constantly. You know, it's still, for a lot of us, still nice and pretty and green outside and you know we've got roofs over our heads we've got food in the fridge so yeah lots lots to be grateful for lots to be happy about um i did actually have notes for this and that wasn't meant to talk so much about whatever it is i just said 
Um, hmm. Yeah, okay, so yeah, <laughs> in this podcast, oh yeah, things I need to tell you in general on my notes here are that this is a listener-supported podcast. That means that it is brought to, brought to you by you. Hey, cool, it's kind of like FUBU, you know, but not really. But yeah, it's brought to, brought to you by you and, you know, from the bayou. What's that song? Creedence Clearwater Revival. They got that. Cool. This is... <sighs> See, this is why in this podcast, Laz says you should stick to the script, whether it's going well or even if it's going badly. I would say, depending on the situation you are in right now, from your side, probably going pretty well. You're probably listening to me ramble and go, huh, I wonder, I wonder if he's going to come out of this alive. And uh, for me, I'm going, well... Let's see what's next on the script. Oh, yes, sticking to the script reminds me of Sorry to Bother You, which if you haven't seen yet, you absolutely have to. Uh, it's written by Boots Riley, and I love his rap. Like, I listen, to, I listen to a lot of Boots Riley's music, and I didn't really, like, I'd heard, like, people told me, yo, go watch Sorry to Bother You, and I didn't. And now I have because more people told me to go watch it. And I'm telling you now to go watch it. I'm not going to go say anything else. I'm just going to say, cool, man. That's some cool-ass creative shit that, like, really, really well-paced, really well-written, amazingly acted, just a great fucking movie that takes things in some very, very interesting directions. So, yeah, a little recommendation there based on the notes I've got you about sticking to the script. Uh, in this podcast, we also discuss what it's like to be in the LNN writing room, LNN Late Night News with Lisa Gola. Don't know if you know this, Lisa Gola is Laz Gola's brother. And yeah, Laz, after, I think in the second or third season, got to join the writing room and got to be a part of history, I guess, in South Africa, because that was quite a historic TV show. But it led to Laz writing more. He's written for Buntu Hour. He wrote an amazing sketch and acted an amazing sketch that you can check out on his Instagram. Uh, I think it's also on YouTube there. It's about the first day of apartheid. So, yeah. It's a short it's a short skit. Go check it out. It's fucking hilarious. And he absolutely killed it on that. But yeah, we discuss writing. We discuss writing for TV. We discuss oh, so many things. It's actually, yeah, really, really fun, really cool chats. And we get into the different ways of telling stories and the different considerations that you can maybe start thinking about like if even if you're not a comedian like if you're a comedian especially we we consider a lot you know when it comes to this thing but we don't always consider everything and Laz is starting to consider more and more and more about the presentation of his jokes and that comes from expanding into directing so that's what we got for you today on the Almost Perfect Podcast. Like I said, it is brought to you by you, the listener. And there is a t- there is a tier over on patreon.com forward slash almost perfect called the titular titles tier. This is a tier. It's $10. And I give you a shout out because you are officially a part of the cast and crew right here at the Almost Perfect Podcast. So, shout-outs to Chief Sales Officer of Subtle Heresies in the Greater Overberg region, Rousseau. We've got Karan Slamon, who is the Almost Perfect Youth Group Leader. Shout-out to them. Shout-out to King Julian. And lastly, shout-out to Stephen Olafia, who is the Executive Producer. 
if you want to hear your name shouted out, if you want to have a silly title of your choosing, yes, you get to choose your title. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. You can also support this podcast by buying a mug. Yes, they are almost perfect mugs and they are 100 rand each with 10 rand from each sale going to Sasonke. Sasonke is an organization uh, by sex workers, for sex workers that are working to decriminalize sex work in South Africa, which is obviously something I am on board with. So hit me up, Bob at Bob at Durban is yours. Nah, don't don't don't. That email address is dead. Uh, R.I.P. But Bob at almostperfect.co.z. Hit me up. I can send you a mug if you're in Durban. You can come get it from me in Glenwood. Alternatively, I can send it to you. Postnet to Postnet. You know the other things. Social media vibes. Just type in the almost perfect podcast. You should find us. If you haven't rated, reviewed, and subscribed, please go do that right now. And uh, without further ado, here comes the Almost Perfect Podcast with Laz Gola. So how are you living, Laz? I'm good, Bob. I'm good. It's been, it's getting, um, yeah, I mean, good, man. It's, it's, it's a lot better. I would say first, first two months of lockdown were just like a great, just relaxing, getting away from just a just like a pause button in the middle of like mayhem which i embraced just sleeping in and doing whatever the hell i wanted to do and then there was probably a month after that where it was just got like yeah weird real. yeah got real and now yeah i think now on the, on on month month 4 on the way on the way back i think it's yeah getting back into some kind of work and a bit of rhythm and I mean, even like started jogging and looking after myself a little bit, and I would wouldn't have thought of doing that two months ago. So I think slowly getting back into it. How are you doing? Yeah, uh, I was like I was telling you before, like it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Like it's weird. This podcast last week started with me saying, you know, like I'm having a chill time, everything's good, and then this week it's like, like I've I've been like battling the depression demons. And then also just the life is meaninglessness like kind of stuff. But I go through those phases like a lot. I think more than most people do. <laughs> so mm. I'm kind of adept at handling them. It's just the isolation, man, when it comes to this thing. I think it, like has a lot of us going from the like self like on a self improvement kick, but then also on that self improvement kick, sometimes you go down paths that are a little dark. Well, for me personally. Yeah. Have you have you experienced that? Like, well, you said like last month was probably your tough month. Yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, I think the isolation was definitely was definitely a thing. I mean, I went through a fresh breakup literally at the beginning of lockdown, and what? also, also I think like I've taken a bit of um, I wouldn't say, I'd say like a, a small pivot um, into. You know, like moved to Cape Town and went into directing, and it's now. And so it was just like it was a month of like kind of being caught in between two worlds, and not kind of. It was like lockdown. I couldn't be on set, but also getting weird requests to do like online content, and it was, I don't know. It was just like basically two things were happening at the same time, which hadn't really. It's all been kind of definitive you know, two years prior to that, like either stand up or 
my main focus. So it was just like caught in between things and it just felt kind of overwhelming at times. And just, I think for a week, I just shut off my phone. And it was just like <laughs> nothing, yeah, nothing's being done. No mails are being checked. Yeah, it was like a lot, like a big, like overwhelming vibe. Isolation, definitely. I think the belts, belts of depression, I think. Um, to be yeah. expected with this. Yeah. Like, yeah, I would. I would I would be surprised if anyone who didn't well who didn't have this kind of time to themselves and be with themselves and kind of unlock all those whatever those thoughts that do you well, think, not thoughts, for, but just yeah. Yeah. Do you think for like people, you know, creative people or performers, it's also got that extra level where usually, you know, we have our thoughts and then we get to share them. You know, like we we have some thoughts, we manufacture them into like, you know, a joke or into things we want to say. Like you also do script writing and that. And so you get to share your thoughts, whereas now it's like having all these thoughts and the only place you could really share them is like on Twitter or Instagram or something. And it's not quite the same as like being able to get on a stage and actually go, hey, everyone, here's what I've been thinking about. Yeah, man, I think... I- think definitely even like even just not stage like thinking out a thought or like structuring a thought out you know for the for the purposes of putting it out for people is is like unpacking something you know yeah 100% so, so you kind of have to kind of poke holes at it and you know give it a bit a bit of thought and then once you've kind of taken up like you know giving it out to the people it's you know kind of that kind of therapeutic release almost i don't know making it sound bigger than it is but yeah you know so now when it's all kind of bottled up you you just keep going around in that circle and kind of there's no release of that valve (laughs) fuck that's actually very much how i'm feeling right now i think like you just described it perfectly it's just like there's no space to really just like release stuff although i guess Luckily for me, I do have this podcast and various other things. And we do have social media. We do have ways to interact. But it's so different to uh, the being on stage thing. But you were you were planning for this year to be pretty different anyway, like you say, because you moved to Cape Town and you've been directing, right? Yeah. So this was, this was I mean, planning for it to be a very much an outbreakout kind of, kind of year for me. Um, so I moved. I actually moved to Cape Town at the end of 2008 already. And um, 2008. Yeah. So the end, like November 2008, I moved down. But I, 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 I guess, yeah. I thought you were based on Joburg, though. Fuck. My bad. No, I. So, so my thing was it was kind of very low key. I think I told like a handful of um, comic mates. Um, I told. I told my mom, obviously, because I literally, I literally just packed up and bounced. So I still had my lease in Joburg, still had all my shit there. Um, I literally just like packed up and moved to my mom's place in Cape Town. Like that's how abrupt it was. So not many people knew, and also 2019 was very much like I, I have no qualms with with taking a year to just customize myself and just learn and just. You know, I like, I think in comedy it taught me very well. Like, it's like, yeah, you don't have to rush it. I mean, it's like time. time <laughs> it's a process. Yeah, time is a thing. So I don't, I, I didn't really feel, I didn't feel bad with putting in the hours or whatever. Like, I was just like, yeah, yeah, this is how it works. So 2019 was definitely that. Just like, um, 
just getting finding my feet and figuring out what's going on how can i kind of also imprint kind of my being like how i do things and just my personality and just my thoughts into it and so came this year i was like okay fuck it i can i can start kind of implementing some thoughts and you know kind of taking it by the bull by the horns and then obviously coincidence happened yeah so you've got you've got like another year to get your feet again <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean the, yeah that's just the thing is it's just like you're not on sets it's like you're not even doing that you're it's not learning like you, yeah, yeah you're you're you in in your own thoughts as well as we spoke about earlier but yeah man i think i've really there's been a, there's been um a brief or two there's one that i'm still waiting on and i'll find out yeah fuck, i'll probably find out by the time this is uh which is a really cool project and yeah man i think just just fuck just take the second half and see if i can make you know if i can get anything out of it in terms of like the year that i'm uh, fuck, I'm making it sound like a Mighty Ducks situation, but like the year that I thought that I wanted to, you know, do my thing. I'm with you there, man. Like, I feel like that's, we're all trying to do that. We're trying to find something to salvage, you know, like, or just trying to pivot into different things where, you know, maybe maybe the second project that you had on the list instead of the first, like that's that's what it's been for me. Like, because the almost perfect websites and stuff like that and various other things that I've done this year were things that were on my list of things to do. But there's always just been like slightly bigger things to do instead first. And now that the slightly bigger things aren't happening, it's like, okay, well, what are all the other things I wanted to do? And so that's been a cool thing in a way for me. It's just been like, whilst, you know, I do mourn the loss of like a lot of stuff that... I was hoping to do this year. For me, I was planning to like film a one-man show, and oddly enough, it's called the end of the world. And I didn't, I didn't have like a virus as the, as one of the things that I was <laughs> talking about. Weirdly enough, like I was like Elon Musk and AI and all of that shit. And yeah, fucking the simple old-school plague is what Matt Wapa said. But yeah, so like for me, it was just like, shit, this was meant to be the year that like I actually pushed my comedy. And now it's like, oh, fuck, I can't do that. But instead of now I'm writing for like this cartoon that my friend's trying to create. And that's been fucking fun. I'm, you know, throwing ideas around with some other friends to like write movies and stuff. And so, yeah, it's been a really cool experience in that way. And that like I'm now I've done so much screenwriting this year and that like that was something I was only exploring a little bit last year. So I'm grateful in that way that it's now allowed me to just explore this other side of me because of necessity almost. Oh man, that's, dude, I think that's like, yeah, that's dope. That's, I find, man, I think, I think comedians, as much as it's like very much, you know, we kind of like in our heads and like, like we discussed before, but I think we are like, out of all the arts, like the most equipped for this type of shit, dude. I like. We should be. It's just like our. I mean, apart from apart from the actual skill set, which is quite dynamic and quite versatile, you know, and like able to to kind of plug in a lot of places. I think just the fact that we we have I wouldn't say healthy, but we have a relationship <laughs> a, a relationship with failure, you know. Um, yeah. It's like it's 
it's not like on all levels from from actually the actual creative like ah oh, fuck that didn't work to like the admin side and the, like you know from people fucking you over um, from people not booking that. you from <laughs> yeah. fucking just yeah. all the the back end stuff that like I think some of it happens in other creative things I know musicians complain a bit and I see actors and you know I do see other artists complaining about their lives as well but like the comedy scene does uh, especially teach you to be thick-skinned. Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, I can't think of one that has such an immediate rejection. I know we speak about <laughs> the, the the acceptance and the amazing reception from from audience members, but on the other side of that coin is the absolute immediate and definite rejection of an idea and of a creative thought is there and is something that a comedian lives with every day obviously it's like it's it, that's not the goal but when it happens you have to kind of dust that shit off because there's literally a next joke you know it's like a next gag that has to have your full attention and you don't have time to wallow in that rejection you know it's like that's oh, like you see that's, that's my fa- that's where i fail <laughs> yeah like i tell a joke at a lad's flat and i'm like fuck you guys like you know it's not, like i like i've learned to like let it go you know but like sometimes but some nights it's just like no no that's that's a good fucking joke like you bastards and like you don't want to give them more you don't want to me personally you know i'm just like yeah. no you don't deserve my material but do you, what yeah what what goes through your head when you're on stage are you ever like that like are you how are you what what thoughts are going through your head because i feel like you've got a pretty comfortable vibe these days so i i i was told something pretty early on that i guess i only learned years years into it but i mean what i was told was always stick to stick to your material stick to what you rehearsed and that goes both ways whether it's the crowd is fucking loving it and um, lapping everything up even more than you expected and then when they just hate you so when they so when they respond positively the instinct sometimes is to try to fucking bask in it and then kind of go off script and just really embrace and milk that embrace as much as you as as you can and then just going off script and then literally yeah not giving them yeah not giving them what yeah what they loved or the same material but just done done completely differently because of a fucking split second decision versus the thing that you've been rehearsing all week and so then for you is consistency the key there yeah man so when it so when it does when it goes bad it's like the, the, the instinct there is to fuck how can i do what can i do to save this situation whereas if you just keep to your script because that's the funniest version that joke can be like the next joke is the funniest version that joke can be my tense is all fucked. The next, <laughs> jo- the next joke and how you rehearsed it is the funniest version of that joke. And if you panic and then don't do the funniest version of that joke, you're just making your job harder to get out of this hole because the hole is really small at the beginning. You know, it takes one joke to fall flat. You're like, ah, oh, whatever. It takes three, four on the fucking trot. That's when you, you you can't dig yourself out. So one joke, you come back and they're like, oh, okay, that was a hiccup. Two jokes, you're like, what's going on? Ah, oh, okay, never mind. But three, you know, like, so so the more you panic, the more script you get, the more, the, the bigger the hole. So I learned that maybe two, three years after hearing it. 
And I really just, I really just go embrace it. I, if it's a big elephant in the room, just mention it. That like, yeah, that joke okay. it's deserved more. Or man, I, 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 you know, you guys, you guys really stumped me or whatever. But then, but then go cool back, back to script because this is how I'm gonna fucking win you back. So my winning back is like, okay, you didn't like that. Well, check what else I've fucking written, you pieces of shit. But it's still on, <laughs> you know, it's still on the script. So, um, so for you, it's like, for me, it's like, fuck you, you don't deserve this. And for you, it's like, he has the actual good shit. <laughs> yeah. It's that, it, it's that thing. And I, and I learned, like, I did my one man, um, uh, Stone a couple, couple years ago. I mean, I guess I'm still figuring it out. And I mean, I, aren't we always still figuring it out? But I just called yeah. it La Zola Gola Live. And, and I was just like trying to, you know, put my shit together and make it into like cohesive one, you know, long just something consumable and yeah i just remember who said like uh yeah i think it was my brother went to watch it one night and he was like uh he noticed how i literally like just sit and kind of and just sit in pockets and just wait it out and 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 just wait for my next joke and and not really like layer the laughs like if something's happening then i say something else then i say something else and this and else i'm like more my rhythm was more like blah 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 and then wait for it to die out and then i'm like well blah 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 and then kind of wait for it to die out and but and i think that i was like fuck okay i've really kind of taken on this okay you like that one how about the next one you like that one how about so that's how i kind of see how i see jokes and kind of delivering my stuff in my head it's like Okay, that was chapter one. Okay, here's chapter two. And here's okay. the next one. And here. And so if you don't like chapter seven, you don't throw away the book. You're just like, okay, that was a weird one. Anyway, chapter eight was banging, you know? So you being quite methodical when you're on stage. Yeah. I, it's just, it's, these are the series of things that I've prepared for you. And just sit down and hear, and hear, they, and here they are. I see them as like you... a, ser- a series as opposed to one big thing. Do you ever get jealous of comedians who can like roof and are just in the moment a lot of the time? Because like what you're speaking about, like obviously has a lot of value, but there's so many comedians. Well, there's not so many. There's a hand. There's actually few comedians who can do it well, but you know who are just funny like in the moment and can just like really like let the room dictate what they say, like which I think is obviously an incredible skill, but it's one that very few people have. But don't like for me, I know I get jealous of those people because I'm a writer, you know, like I write my jokes yeah. like you, like I practice my jokes and I hope that, yeah, like I'm going to tell the jokes in the best way possible when I'm telling them. But I see some people and I'm just like, you know, they do the thing of they've got the setup, they've got the punchline and everything else in between is different each time. And it's just like they're forever. Yeah. Playing and experimenting. Yeah, man, this, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's a great, I mean, I, yeah, I see it. Am I jealous? Yeah, I mean, I, I would go as far as saying jealous, but purely just because it's such a, it's such a great thing. It's a skill that I, I won't say don't have, that kind of, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be positive these days, Bob. <laughs> it's a trait that I don't, I don't use. How about that? And, sure. um, you know, I mean, fuck. I'd say the likes of like Eugene Koza or Dusty Rich or Dave Lemmingson. Yeah. Fucking fire. Like you just, just a fucking ball of fire and you're like, where is this fucking going? But it always, you know, kind of ends 
in that like gymnastics pose where they bow to the judges you're like how the fuck do they get there yeah i think that's great and i and i and i i i just when what i do is i don't try and do that when i'm doing this i'm just like okay cool these are kind of two different approaches do you find what works for you and yeah man i find it i think at the at first i mean it might it might be different in the future but at first i think my ideas and premises were so kind of um, intentionally kind of out there and i really kind of wanted to make it absurd that my my setup had to be very precise because once i lose you on the way to my fucking crazy thoughts i've lost you and there's no there's no improv i can give you or anything it is like i need to set this up in a way so that you are fucking with me um and i was very kind of yeah and i think i was i was very meticulous with that and also i also like writing so those are kind of my my things i was like i'd always think that i mean at some stage i liked writing a joke more than i like performing it you know i think that's shifted shifted a little bit over the years but i I know how you feel there yeah for me it was like figuring out a puzzle at home exactly I was like, I was like oh that's fire okay no it's it's a puzzle uh, with like letters and words like it's but yeah and an idea yeah. that starts with like yeah yeah man i fucking feel yeah. you so hard there and then it's like okay i guess i gotta show people my puzzle but you know the biggest thing and then it's kind of slowly shifted and i i guess and now i, I like the performing a, a, a bit more but i still like the puzzle i still like figuring the thing out i still like that 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 um you know enjoying it <laughs> enjoying it by myself first before showing it out you know giving it out to the people where did, did that start from a young age like were you writing as a kid yeah i mean yeah, i wrote for a good two years before i went on stage um so i wrote, you strike me as the top yeah yeah i wrote i wrote when i was in um jeez i was in grade nine damn i was writing grade nine already and grade 10 was the first time i went on stage yeah but so yeah, i'm jealous like was that because of your brother's influence like i didn't want to like talk too much about your brother on this one but like yeah was it seeing him on stage going like shit like i can do that yeah no definitely it was i mean i like to think of it as it, just getting exposed to it i mean a lot of people yeah. a lot of people don't get exposed to it at an early age and i mean if they had they probably would have started earlier um, 100% so i went to go i mean i'd always seen it always watch it you know you always like love stand up comedy but having to, having the experience of seeing it's like seeing a live show kind of more like it's 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 attainable it's tangible also you can kind of feel the electricity that that person gives you know there's one person with a microphone that's and actually I, what made it real for me as well man like, yeah genuinely just going to a comedy show it made me go shit i can do this like because yeah. there's someone on stage in front of you doing it it's no longer just on tv it's no longer this unattainable thing from the guy in america and for you it was obviously in your own house so that made it dope <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was a great influence, but there were other comics at the time. I mean, it was, it was, this was Cape Town. This was, they used to call themselves Cape Town Comedy, Cape Town Comedy Collective or Cape Comedy Collective. Yeah. Um, and that literally had, Jesus, it had Gajesa Lodita, David Gao, Stuart Taylor. Where those guys? Uh, I mean, all those guys are just like, 
in Cape Town um, just doing stand-up at the time and I just got to, and I could get to just watch them do the shit for like you know. I assume Kakiso is also a big influence on you like just looking at your career and looking at his <laughs> like it seems that he would be someone who you looked up to yeah I think he has he has a great he was he was a big big influence I think the um, before him I didn't really appreciate the kind of the duality between writing and kind of expressing yourselves in other ways and stand-up comedy you know those kind of two things had always kind of felt apart and mutually exclusive and he kind of brought those two things together out of in a very real practical way like in front of my eyes how so um, i think i mean you know i think a lot of people know him as as I don't know. People know him as a stand-up comic, but they also know him from Pumanati. I mean, those are two yeah. really big. Those are two big things that you like. Someone would love to have one of those kind of careers. Um, and then you so, look at what Kishis has done since. That's like obviously with Bansuawa, and then also with all the movies now. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, so so that like he can, he he's a. He's a writer. I mean, he also directed half of the episodes of Queen Sono, you know. So he's like, he wrote, he's a head writer, well, he's a showrunner for Queen Sono, uh, directed half of the episodes. So that already that is like, that, that is a multifaceted kind of career, like taking away, taking stand up out of the equation. So he shows came, what's possible, like, yeah, in a tangible so, way. So it came, so, so for me, I'd always been like, Okay, I'm not going to say no to an avenue because, because you know, because of this kind of this, um, and I, I still do believe it in some in some way, I guess. But there's this thing of like, it's you got to put 300% into stand-up comedy for you to be successful in stand-up comedy. It's that like everything has to be sacrificed, and 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 I understand Dude, it, it and I get it. I. I do, you know, I do and I, I do and I don't. So I do believe that, I do believe that a shitload of sacrifices need to be, and people who focus a hundred percent into stand-up comedy exponentially grow and be successful in yeah. stand-up comedy. Um, you get what you put in, or you get out yeah. what you put in. And I, but I also do believe that people are express themselves differently. Yeah. And you can express yourselves in different ways i think i mean fuck looking look looking at you, you just look at steve martin you look at um, I mean, bo burnham's a prime example there yeah bo, bo burnham aziz ansari uh, mark maron <laughs> mark mark maron and then like the people who i will only mention because of a Artistic, <laughs> artistic contribution, and no, I you're getting cancelled no. before you even no. say it. <laughs> That's the thing, but um, but you know, even yeah, uh, even Woody him. Allen, Woody Allen, and the other guy, um, and Louis C.K. You know, those are people who express expressed in in different ways, and 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 then those it's ways became became yeah they it didn't drop the ball in and i mean steve martin just quit but it he didn't quit while he was waning out he was just like he left and then just became <laughs> a fucking huge movie star and movie writer and you know and a great um, banjo player 
<laughs> yeah. So it's, for me, it's, it's for me, it's out there. You know, those those people are not like these crazy genius exceptions. They just, I think, made like an early decision to go like, yeah. I, I mean, I can do both. I mean, Neil Brennan. If we're not looking at like crazy superstars, he's like got a crazy. He's he's got like a pretty successful stand-up career, and he was like a pretty successful show on on, on Chappelle's show. And yeah, he, he's got a pretty ideal career. Like, <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. If, if, if you wanted, like, for me personally, like, uh, if I had his career, like, I'd probably be fairly happy, but I wouldn't because he's a depressed fuck, just like, <laughs> like half of us. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah no, definitely. So he's so so. So, but when did you realize that, like, it was all possible? You know, because I think that's something that's, I mean, even me, like, I've I've always been someone who's dabbled in a lot of different things because that's that's just who I am. Like, I t- like I can't like explain it to like in any other way than like i just need to do multiple things i can't just focus on one thing i can't just dedicate my life to like doing only one thing because i guess the fear of failure means that i have to have like you know my finger in many different pies just in case like i give them all a comedy and i fail then what you know <laughs> so it's yeah, like yeah. <laughs> rather give like 90 percent here or like 70 percent here 10 percent there 10 percent there it's just a good investment practice you know yeah, yeah. Hedging your bet. Hedging your bet, but <laughs> yeah. When did um, when did you realize you could do it all? Um, I mean, I started. I think okay. I moved up to Joburg. I mean, the reason I moved up to Joburg was actually to write on late night news, and wasn't really. It wasn't solely because of solely because of stand up comedy. Had you been uh, doing TV writing before that? No, no, it was it wasn't. So, I so I'd done a, I'd I'd written a I'd written a script actually, a sketch, for, fuck, what is that show called? It was on um, it had uh, Darren Moore as like the host. Um, oh God, like three bucks or something. It, was that it on SABC no. three where like yeah, it was like boxes like it was like a game show like no slash, no okay this I one was know. a little bit more like this one was more on like the satiric it was more on like the satirical Daily Show late night news it was like once I think every Sunday but it wasn't SABC three okay. as well and I remember Gumbi was there oh snap as a writer and I think he obviously performed in some of the sketches and I I just remember from Cape Town I literally just I literally just, um, uh, how do I say it? Probably harassed, probably harassed Gumbi for weeks and months. I'd seen him, I'd done like sets of him, you know, while I still had varsity and, you know, been in the same green rooms and chatted. But I remember just harassing him, and eventually he was like, "Cool, man, send me, send me something, and I'll see, and I'll speak to the guys at the show, and maybe we can, you know, use it." And so I'd, I'd, you know, I just, I'd send him stuff religiously, and I mean, whether or not he read it, I think looking back, I'm like, <laughs> fuck it, I was just, just this fucking kid in Jobo, I mean, in Cape Town, and in like, he's got a show to fucking write for, you know. Um, but eventually, he got back to me, and I was like, cool. Yeah, it's still uh, good practice for you, like, yeah. just to, ha- just to do that, just to have that motivation of like, well. You know, he might not have even read it, but you just had someone who you thought was going to read the script. So it was like, fuck it, let's just come up with stuff and send it. Yeah, man, I used to fuck. I used to churn. I used to churn out 
So I used to write. Okay, let me just finish this one. <laughs> yeah, sure, I mean, eventually, eventually Gumbi, I and mean, eventually Gumbi was like, "Cool, man. Here's um." I showed him your script, and at the time, it was like, I think it was like the first time Ebola hit, and it wasn't like a proper. It wasn't like it wasn't how this how Ebola hit like now. It was like global. But anyways, I had a thing about like Ebola and uh, yeah, it was very similar actually to Tatsu's gag, but it was like how Ebola just win won an award. Ebola won an award for best for best um, thing of the year. And I remember for best disease of the year. And I remember even like it was like John Barker was the guest that week, and he was there on the podium and just like. And yeah, I watched this and I was like, fuck, okay, cool, okay, cool. So I know I'm good enough. That's kind of, that's that was like the affirmation that I needed. And then after finishing pescaring <laughs> Goombi, I then went, uh, put my eyes on uh, my brother and um, Kahiso because I'd always known about the show. Like, I mean, I think actually Kahiso is the one who told me about Late Night Years and what they were doing when I was opening for my brother like years before and then when i saw it coming i was like i was you know like naively kind of expecting like okay well at this time i should be getting a call any moment now you yeah, know how's like, to put on you know like, <laughs> yeah well just even from kagi just going like if you are because kind of went in in depth with the show you know it was we're having like we're having drinks at newtown after the show and kind of how it was going to change south africa and blah 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 and and i don't know like naively thought i was involved in that kind of thing and just because you're being told about it <laughs> yeah anyways I, was like, I get that i get that <laughs> so i was i was just like cool put my uh, yeah like i said crosshairs was kagi and my brother and I, I guess i also put my brother in a really awkward situation but yeah. <laughs> can you imagine know, that must have been like a weird thing for you as well like not what were you what were you feeling like when you were when you approached them because you are you know the younger brother you don't necessarily want to ride in anyone's coattails but you also want to be a part of this awesome fucking project like yeah what's going through your mind well for me i'm like i think because both of them really liked because at the time i mean i still am a bit but but at the time then i was like really kind of um crazy with my like they were really kind of absurd and crazy ideas <laughs> out there and it was also like i was also very young which also kind of gave way to a lot of like comics just investing a little bit of their time with me you know and also going like fuck if you just carry on fuck you can you can be whatever you know whatever like the kind of say protege kind of mentality is yeah so i kind of went into that going like okay yeah i mean fuck i'm if, if if what they've been telling me this whole time is true, then there should be no problem kind of getting a seat at this at this at this table, you know, at the show. But it didn't. I mean, it didn't really happen. It didn't happen for Jesus. I think it was honestly like only a year, man. I, I only joined like maybe third season. I only started pescaring maybe second season. Yeah, it wasn't. It, and it also wasn't like this kind of okay, cool. Here's my brother. Let's go. It was after months and. After months and months of going, um, going, fuck, come on, like, okay, give me a shot. So basically, I eventually, eventually, got guys to give me a shot. I mean, at the time, I'm also like, really, I'm in my early twenties, I'm maybe 22, 21, 22, 22, 
It's like, just get me in the room. If you don't like anything, then fuck it, I'll just take a plane back home, back to Cape Town, and no, no harm, no foul. Um, and I remember being in the room, and it was cool. I mean, it was intimidating because it's like, you walk in there going, fuck, everyone here knows exactly. I, they'd gone into a little bit of a rhythm. So you go in there, and you're like, and everybody the show knows. Was good. <laughs> everybody knows exactly what they're doing, and they know the news, and you're like, fuck. But they gave what me. Was they that, gave, what was being a part of that room like? Man, it was, yeah, it was amazing. It was like, it was the most weird, like it was the most informative. I don't know. I don't think I've ever been in a thing like, in a situation like that. Uh, uh, again. But, like, des- but describe it to but, me. Was it lots of laughter? Were you guys like fighting? Was it free-flowing ideas? Like what was the environment like? Like I'm so curious because like, yeah, like I would like if any writing room like in South Africa, like obviously the PMS one, and then like yeah, the LNN one would be ones I would love to be a fly on the wall for. Man, it was it was literally all of those things, Bob. So I mean, I'll just take you through the day. So eventually, it's so so usually it'd be the night before or the day before you'd get you'd get a research pack. Uh, a research pack is pretty much kind of a summary, or not even summary. Sometimes they just kind of just get, you know, either different, either different articles or legislation or anything that kind of really made the news. And sometimes it would be, geez, like you know, a good twenty pages of of things to kind of get, you know, catch yourself up on. And 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 just different stories, local, global, and kind of just like grouped up. And you're like, cool. You and then you walk into the room. And everyone really knows knows each other. It's like a, it was like a very cool, like um, very like cool, friendly, familiar kind of um, room. But you'd walk in there, and yeah, from the jump, it was on a Friday morning, and just from the jump, it's just pretty much jokes, jokes, jokes all around. I mean, uh, break, breaking each other's balls. We literally had a thing called yeah, breaking balls Friday, and that was just you know. Whenever any, whenever someone made fun of someone, I'm like, oh, breaking, I'm breaking your balls, I'm breaking your balls, and the, like whole room would be <laughs> But it was, yeah, it was just every fucking, every 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 opportunity, there was just like laughed in the room. But also like with that, at the same time, there were some really serious like debates, and people could kind of voice, yeah, kind of voice their opinion, and also and and have some pretty heated. <laughs> heated debates you know and and we had weird like perspectives so i mean for a while i was the youngest person there I probably was until for a very long actually i think i was the youngest always you know uh, there would you'd have like conrad cock who did like a fucking study yeah, chester. Tool for like yeah chester missing but you, and you, at the chester you know, missing yeah oh i'm gonna chat to him about that one day but yeah and so we had that we had um she's like a proper she had studied like journalism um lindsay like at fucking columbia university and we had so there was like a whole bunch of people it wasn't just comedians or just just wasn't journalists but kind of all kind of just went on this happy yeah it was a really fun writing room i always look forward to fridays you know and we just write the whole day so literally the writing was that day so we'd write we pretty much discuss, discuss, unpack, add jokes, 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 and figure out the show, like the show structure, and then break for lunch. And then after lunch, it was everyone go off and write. Um, everyone go write their pieces that we've been allocated, uh, whether okay. it's together or pairs. And then at the end of the day, 
have a read through, which again would also be like fucking just a joker minute and just adding more jokes if, if, if you think of any or having more debates and just like thinking like, you know, a piece is skewing too much on that side or like, you know, being a little bit too ambiguous or just something that is against, you know, you don't think is right. And yeah, then gets debated again. And literally by Friday night, there would be a show. So walk in without a show Friday night, there would be a show and then we film it on Monday. So yeah, man, it was pretty yeah. much, it was the best. Yeah. It was just the best fucking well-rounded and you could have these crazy debates about things that you wouldn't be about able to have with the anyone world else. And laugh yeah. and politics <laughs> and like you hear yeah. ideas you probably never even considered before. Exactly. Bro. Um, especially since I like, cause I did ecos, at Fitz and I was like, didn't really get to, to flex that kind of thing until I got into that room. And it was like, it was crazy. Yeah, man, that was, a, yeah, that was an amazing, that was did an you amazing. Ever feel, did you ever feel out of your depth though? Like just hearing you talk about it, you don't sound like it, but like I can imagine you're like, I would feel a bit intimidated at times. Yeah, I, I, definitely. I mean, you, you, you like hundred percent, yeah, you're not the smartest person in the room by, <laughs> by by far. But what was cool is that they would leave, you know, give you give you give you space to to voice some things. I mean, fuck at some stage we had um man, this amazing guy, um Bratemba. But basically he's like a he's like a you know, like a struggle stalwart and he he came in. I know Kagi knew him from way back and and he came in and like you'd also speak about some things and people would drop in like like just out of the blue and you're like holy shit this is this is crazy but yeah there was definitely times we were like what the fuck is happening and and actually slowly yeah slowly just became it became a little more and more i think i think for me at some stage you started to lose and that's purely for me i started to lose a bit of like the the gag joke Thing that I that I had always loved about it, as in like just the, the just the room being like always kind of fun and always kind of having that as the bed or whatever whatever sits in it, and yeah. then and then also just like punching the shit out of jokes or, or bits, you know, because that's I thought was my and that I think still is my 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 strong point, you know. Uh, oh, cool. I'll take your I'll take your opinion. I'll take whatever that thing is going, and I'll punch it up, and I'll make it kind of weird and personify it, and do I don't know. I'll I'll get your point across. But then at some stage, it, like it got quite. I think it was probably just before like the elections or something. I don't know. But it was like the the debates were getting more heated, and I think a lot of and then some other comics. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think at some stage. Oh yes, I know it was. It was. At some stage, I think it was just an efficiency thing. The the read-throughs after writing just segments, I think they they made that group smaller. So it was it was almost like you submit what you had written as opposed to as opposed to sell it, you know. And then there'll be uh, you know the showrunners or like Kagi Loy and I think two other people would go through it and and. And, so it made it yeah. slightly more professional in a way. Like that's how like other shows are written a lot of the time. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I think with me and this is my young, my young, my youngness, young brain, I, I just got less, 
I got le- I felt less invested in the piece if I didn't get to to sell it or kind of I don't know. I mean, also just like fucking not knowing what I what I had in front of me before until it was gone. I don't know. But yeah, I was young, and I just remember just like looking forward to like selling it, and you know, like this is my this is this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm going, and then the difference because you you actually and, get the approval, like you actually see it, you actually yeah, you get it. you get to see it, you know what's you also know what's wrong with it, and you get to and you also maybe get to yeah, you get to you know you get response essentially, yeah. like it's not just here's a thing to submit and then people mark it and come back to you later, like school essentially, yeah, <laughs> like you know before it was more of a like i don't know just yeah like a thing a that group, you did together and, and then became yeah. like a, yeah yeah damn okay and so that uh, had an effect on you I th- yeah man i think so and then also just being young and stupid and just like fucking you know like we're probably going out on a thursday or you know you probably have a gig on a thursday but then going out after the gig or like just being not as sharp yeah um, the comedy lifestyle does not allow for mornings yeah, and especially like very sharp, like have to be sharp and high intensive, like you know, like Debating doesn't allow for, for, for writing a whole show in a day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that kind of efficiency and freshness. But it was dope. I, you know, I, yeah, I, I really loved it. I loved those years for what they were, and and yeah, like you said, it was how it was just becoming more professional, and I guess it had it had to kind of move that way. I mean, the industry, like, has become more professional, and it's, I think, a good thing, and I mean, it's, yeah, like, it's grown so much because of, yeah, the stuff that, like, people like Kahiso have done, and it's been wonderful to see, and you also are now a director, right? Like, Ooh. you're, like, so you've done, I mean, I know you've also been nominated for writing awards and stuff like that. Don't necessarily want to gloss over that, but we have chatted about writing a bit. So yeah, like you're you've been directing. What made you decide that that's what you wanted to do? Had it always been in the back of your mind, or was there like a moment that made you go, "This is now the direction I want to go in"? I think it was. Look, it has always been in the back of my mind. I think it it it. it although, well, ever since I started kind of uh, writing, whether it's late night news, whether it's in, in, in adverts at, at agencies or whether it's um, even Bantu Hour. There... Oh, wait. One, you, one thing I actually, before you carry on, I'm so sorry to interrupt yeah. here, but you mentioned Bantu Hour and I have to ask that apartheid sketch, did you write that? Mm. Dude, that's probably one of the funniest fucking things. Like, I've honestly, like, oh. that was one of my favorite sketches from that show, like, the entire time, like, your delivery, oh, like, just the, the concept, just the simplicity, the shortness, everything about it was just, like, fuck, I love that, yeah, I love that sketch, and I loved your performance in it, so, I've been wanting oh, to tell dude. you that for a while. <laughs> uh, thanks, man, thanks so much, dude. Um, yeah, that sketch, it actually stemmed from there was a time where I actually wanted to write uh, like a period piece, an apartheid, an apartheid, just an apartheid comedy, which I had never seen. And and then I and then I just really loved, well, like while I was figuring it out in my head, I really loved kind of these really like really great statesmen and these people, you know, I mean her- heroes. We see them as heroes, but I really loved just throwing like incompetency in there, 
and like having like like one or one or two stooges and like I, so I really kind of like that like dynamic and I was like fuck yeah man like and I just found that funny and then I even tried it actually on stage at some stage but I, I tried it once at Kitchener's and it just did not work <laughs> like it just had too much too much setup to do. Yeah, I mean, Bantawa came around, and I just, I mean, it was really, like, all within a year. And when Bantawa came, I was like, fuck, um, yeah, let me, I mean, I, and then kind of wrote a sketch with that kind of in my head. Um, TV but, gives yeah. you that avenue to explore, like, oh, we're going to oh, get into the director talk now, but, like, basically, yeah, like, because you're talking, you have absurd, absurd ideas, and, like, I'm thinking, like, almost like, like, not Liam Lynch, good photographer, but I was thinking of David Lynch, um, who, like, yeah, just how, like when he talks, he says he's got ideas and visions and stuff like that, and then he creates them. And like I feel like for you, obviously, you've got some stuff that you can describe through jokes, but then others that you actually have to like show. Yeah, bro. I mean, the joke, as much as you people are like, uh, they they describe things really well, and they, but 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 a uh, but a comedian and a storyteller really can't get you. I can't show you something too far away from your own references in your head, because that's how that's. I mean, that's the shortcut. The shortcut is like okay. doing something that people already know and then kind of fucking with it, or taking something that someone knows and taking something else that someone knows and going boom. What about this? You know, that's really like <laughs> most most descriptions. You just and ruined like, comedy for everyone. <laughs> no, but, but no. I mean, I think it's great. I really love those. I love that paradigm. But sometimes there are things that you, that are that I want to describe that are that are new or, or that are that that are so far from what you are thinking that it takes me so much time to describe it that it just fucks up with the whole flow. If you know what I mean. So you're like, if I just pick up a camera, get someone in front of it, and I can show you instead. Mm. But there's so many things you can do. There's so many, there's so many, there's so many visual things you can do that take abs- like zero time. It takes you as much time as it is for you, your eye to register it, for you to tell half of the story. You know, I mean, and we know, and we know this in, like instinctively from like just watching movies and stuff. But to actually tap into that is something else. And that's what you're doing now. Yeah, man. I'm geez, I'm not trying to make it that deep, but. Um, <laughs> It is but that, that deep, though. But, like... that's, but that's what you can do, you know. You can, you can, if you, so, by showing, like, a dark, you know, like, a, a fucking, a, 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 like, a low-lit room, a dark room with a swinging, with a swinging lamp from, from the ceiling, that is quicker to show than I just told you to tell. Like, yeah. Like, I just did to tell you. And... I can, and I don't have to keep reminding you that visually. It's just like that's what it is. And then anything I say is said in the bed of that. And I'm just, I can, I can really, I can really pull you in really quickly. But also on like stand up, I think there's so many visual gags out there that you can't do. I mean, you can do the physical comedy, but that's, you know, that's also just a very much, uh, I mean, like a very, like a, all theater tricks and not necessarily showing them the thing. And so I, I'm really, I'm really enjoying that. I mean, I'm learning as you go. So like, like I told about like last year, I didn't go to fucking film school or anything like that. And really just like, you know, YouTube and like on the job, <laughs> really. And just really, and also just talking, talking like directors' heads off, ears off, uh, whoever kind of, kind of give me time. <laughs> and sometimes really like, you know, 
fuck up fuck up a social situation by like going a little bit too much into <laughs> into 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 directing but um yeah but there's so many things you can just do with like lighting and lenses and and just camera movement and you know you can tell so many stories and say so many things with that without one bit of dialogue or even just a character doing action you can tell that even before someone arrives which i'm really enjoying exploring and like getting into do you see it having an impact on your future comedy like you know taking it further in terms of stuff like that and your shows being more directed and like yeah, yeah. considered in those ways yeah definitely man like you i actually wanted to fill my my one man this this year well actually it was the end of last year but then i also thought this year is is the year and then just just in those couple of months i've changed exact like i've changed so many things of how i want to present it and i think chief i think i mean bo bo burnham is is a big yeah a example and also just like a, a, oh, a, a great so, influence so in that way like in love with that dude man like like as work is my like my gold standard like i measure anything i create against that and that's why i'll always fail <laughs> like because i'm yeah. just like yeah i love yeah. that dude i love his honesty i love yeah everything he does so i'm with you there because yeah the way he presents things even in his first show like uh, words 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 where he had it all like set like written out behind him he had the entire show written word for word like behind him and I was just like, that's such a cool fucking touch. But then you look at how he explores things further, like throughout his career, like just from the lighting to sound cues to his performance with lighting and sound cues. It fucking, it's phenomenal. And then he quits comedy and directs a dope movie about eighth grade girl. It's <laughs> yeah. I mean, so for me, even like even things that he's not involved in. I mean, he he directed that i think i think it changed the game i think a lot of comics saw gerard carmichael's like oh, yeah uh, yeah yeah treatment of, like the treatment of that was like holy shit you know um stand-up comedy can be cinematic and also i mean he did what did he do with the, the light of uh yes um chris rock chris rock's tambourine man his latest thing he directed that as well and like those lights were those lights were not I'm going to say practical, but practical also means something in 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 film. But they were yeah. not. They were um, those lights kind of, yeah. Those lights were so aesthetic and not necessarily like a spotlight following. And it was like you know, it just looked beautiful. Create, yeah, it created a mood, it created a setting. Yeah, man. And so it's so so. I've been thinking about this a while. I mean, I've been, I've been, I probably, I'm probably annoying a lot of stand-up mates of mine because i keep talking about i mean also my brother i think he's you know at some stage we'll be shooting once and i don't know i just keep shooting i just keep thinking like and how i'm gonna do it and like where where my camera is gonna be because look stand-up comedy has been shot pretty much the same way and it's great because it works you know like why, yeah. why you know whatever break fix something else i broke it blah 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 but there's also like I mean, it's been like the wide. It's been it's been the mid, like probably two cameras on the mid, or like on each side. Yeah, just and the like, headshots. And they, yeah. yeah, like the close the close of the head is like great. And then it was like, you know, then like the game changed when they did that like shot from the back where it was like a silhouette almost. 
and then like you know but it's only been like changing so like you know but change is there so it's like why not just fucking embrace it and make this so i've i've been please if i showed you like my like my notebook of just like things that i think of and throw in there and you know probably you'll throw half of them out when it's time to film but I mean, it's that. Another thing, Bo Burnham, like, which is a no-brainer for me now, but I had to hear him say it for me to be like, fuck, oh, yeah. But having pickups, you know, like pickup shots and not necessarily oh, yeah. like not because I know like comedy do, does pickups for like for the listeners out there. This is going to be a, a spoiler. But, you know, when they come on and off the stage. Yeah. this And you realize, wait, where does the camera go? Yeah, because that's a different shot. You know, it's a different like I know when I did sit for. Or Mnet and it's Comedy Central. It's like you go and you do your set, and then before everyone leaves, it's like, cool guys, we're gonna just gonna shoot the coming on and going off scenes, um, and then they're all there and they and they applaud and whatever. But taking pickups even further, you know, like taking the camera where you wouldn't, the camera wouldn't be, like, like it couldn't it, be, like usually. Like, yeah, I mean, it could physically be there, but it would be so disruptive. Yeah, but you wouldn't see show. it. Yeah. And and it was just fuck everything up. Like there's there's a really like there's a tracking in shot he does, like almost through the crowd, but it's so tight on him, and it gets like almost like his walk, like the camera's walking down the aisle straight to him at the edge edge of the stage, and that was a pickup shot that I saw, and I was like fuck, that makes so much sense. There's so many things like cool. The audience is there, and they did laugh at that thing. But you can just for the edit pick you know find something out like do do something else or really unpack that sequence of movements or the sequence of whatever to really make it like aesthetically beautiful. I mean there's so much effort put in to a 30 second commercial and for like one hour and like one hour stand up comedy special is literally essentially. Essentially done in one take, and it's like, dude, commercials are like taking it like you know, a 30 second commercial can have like 90 takes. Um, that's actually, and that's actually such a great point because we work so hard on the material and we work so hard on the performance of how we're going to present, you know, comedy and like the, all of that. And then, yeah, you just go, cool, here's the thing, and then people shoot it, and it looks the same as everyone else's. And it's like, yeah, yeah when when you like you're saying, like that's a whole element that yeah even a fucking tv commercial has a lot more thought to it than the way a stand-up comedy special is presented yeah and that's and that and that's i mean it it can never be the same just with the money thing but that gap that gap should not be that big like in any fucking any respectable i wouldn't say respectable because now that has bad connotations but anyone (laughs) anyone who wants to present something artistically that gap should not be that big well especially because you're meant to be the creative one you know the ad companies are meant to be coming to you for the like (laughs) ideas anyway so yeah yeah, i mean that's actually that's actually a good point and like something i need to think about i've always appreciated i don't know if you've seen like any of doug stanhope's work but yeah like he did like he's done stuff you know just literally like very shitty like film cameras and bars and just saying the most ludicrous absurd stuff and like that makes sense for him you know and then he did yeah. i don't know if you've seen burning the burning the bridge to norway 
which is just this yeah. warehouse in Norway with a bunch of chairs and like a shitty stage. <laughs> like, and I was just like, yeah. you know, for you, this fucking works. But obviously for other people, you've kind of got to take a different approach. Yeah, but I mean, even even something like that, you know. It's different. You know, for me, yeah. that was a thing. It stood out. It gave him something unique, you know, because all the yeah. other comedy specials I was watching at the time were nothing like that. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's what I've, like, being exposed to kind of this side of how much effort is being put in kind of was like a smack in the face of like, ah, oh, shit, I didn't think of any, oh, I don't think anyone, or not, I don't think many people have thought about it like this. Um, and, I mean, fuck, dude, there's like a guy, there's, there's a guy who can make a fucking living. I mean, obviously, people in film industry know, people just in general know. But if you just say it like this, like there's a guy who makes a living from lighting things. And that's all they do. They don't fucking touch the camera. They don't do anything. All they do is light the thing how the director envisioned it and, and just make the shit look beautiful. And that person has assistance. And that person has, you know, a whole budget and a whole panel van, and they have like their own, this whole ecosystem. They have their and own channel. Under, and you're underutilizing them. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're filming your comedy. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm saying. That person is not even in the conversation in, in comedy. And so it's like, man, we are using the same medium, but we are, I, I would say at this stage, purposely just not, not, not asking for that help. Um, and that was like a, a big kind of wake up call for me. Fuck, I love, dude, I love the way this conversation's gone. Cause yeah, I wasn't, I didn't, yeah, I've never necessarily, like I've obviously thought about presentation and like, you know, especially with stuff like Bo Burnham and like even Neil Brennan's three marks and, you know, like there's a lot of people that fuck with the form. I mean, fucking Maria Bamford stuff even like there's so like there yeah. are people who are constantly like trying different things and that. Yeah. Like you say, like even just considering the fact that there's someone whose entire life is dedicated to making shit look dope and you're just saying to them cool just put a spotlight on me when you can make <laughs> yeah. them like be like yo make me look like a fucking angel dog <laughs> like you know yeah. Yeah, exactly. you know, can, can we do this <laughs> can we do that i mean yeah you've definitely brought in my mind into like what's even possible just for me but don't you sometimes worry like you were saying earlier with the comedy you know you put it you need to like give it 300 percent that this is like mental capacity that could be going just into like your performance and jokes and stuff like that like do you think that maybe the guys who aren't thinking about all of this might have less on their shoulders and like have a bit more freedom when they get on stage no i i no. so i mean look i think i think that's what a, a, a director is for and I, I, I mean, I'm always, I've always been against, and I think I still am against, um, and <laughs> uh, like theater directors. And I know, and I get, and I get why. But I'm saying personally, for me, like someone to tell me what you know, there's people, there's people backstage, or you know, people who are watching whose opinions I respect, who will be like, hey, maybe try this or that, or whatever. But I think if you, I think, I think there's um there's a completely different shift when you decide, hey, I'm going to put this and make this a product to sell to people. And and that shift doesn't have to impose on your time of like getting your craft to 100%. Like imagine going, okay, I'm supposed to be filming my shit um, in August. 
and I've done all the preparation or whatever now until August. Imagine, and now you're like, so if everything if everything carried on as normal, you'd film in August and it'll be fire. But imagine just going, okay, I've got all my material, everything is polished, I've put 100% into my stand-up, now here is the 1st of August. And now imagine just giving yourself a month to prepare to and, and to think about the presentation. So it doesn't affect your thing. Your jokes would have been the same as it was if you shot if you shot on the first of August. But if you shoot now on the first of September, you have you have like Jesus, you know, like the amount of thoughts and and then those things. Even if you add like twenty hours a day or ten ten minutes a day, like in the morning, yeah. like can add so much yeah. value. Dude, and those things and those things marry and those things can marry. I mean now I'm now I'm kind of talking from my notebook and I haven't really, really figured out these thoughts myself, you know, but it's kind of raw from the head. But I, I, I do believe that, um, that at some stage, and it's kind of like my goal is like, what if, you know, you, you, those two things are married and like you, you having, having a product that would not, you, you could not imagine without those two things together. Like yeah. and done really well, but it's but you know what I mean. Like if you're setting a certain mood, imagine imagine setting a scene, and while you're telling while you're saying something, lights uh, are, are are affected in whatever way. You know, it can be it can be really like minimalist, or it could be. Uh, yeah, I'm just really, imagining like, it's like sitting at a table, like and it's dark. Yeah, man. And then the lights um, slowly come up and like smoke and like yeah, so, like just as you're talking, that was the image that was coming into my head. Like and then like, yeah, like so, you could have, yeah. you could you could be more theatrical with it. Yes, and 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 why not? I mean, you've got fucking Hamilton that is like, that is essentially is amazing and they're singing and whatever, but they are using the same tools we are speaking shit that you have thought about before, on the stage. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think I think it's also like we have this we have this and I still do you know I'm not fucking fully fucking artsy theater whatever but I, I you know I think there is this there is this rebellion that we have in stand up that we're like yo man we're not we're not fully art but we're still one of the people we still we still make fun of those fucking weird arts people because we are everyday people and we are just a vessel of you guys um, about all the crazy weird shit out there. But it's like, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, let's not let's not kid ourselves. We uh, we have a microphone and we have hundreds of people listening oh, and yeah. watching us and paying money for us. So I I I've been I've been thinking a lot about it. I mean, like not not even necessarily to set a scene that is like, even just to set a even just to set a mood for me is where I was thinking. Like you know, getting a, like a nice warm mood and then maybe at at one joke. That might be a story having a little bit more dramatic lighting, maybe adding a bit like a, a red gel or something, or yeah. you know, like maybe even subtle things that 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 don't deter sound from effects the as you tell a story, but as well, but really, but, yeah, you know. So I'm like in between where I'm like I don't want to, you know, because the there's something very fucking noble and quaint about this like person. All they have is a stand, all they have is a microphone and they they thoughts. And a stool. Yeah. Um, I love yeah. that, dude. That's and then, the, like, that's the thing I love about comedy. But then, you can take it further, like you're saying. Like, you can do both. Yeah. You can have those moments yeah. in your show where it's just you with a microphone. 
And you could have those moments in a show where it's you exploring the stage and exploring what you have on hand. Have you seen Hannibal Buress's new show? He put out a special on YouTube. Yeah, yeah he fucked with it a yeah, bit yeah. there, you know, like with the edits. Yeah, and like, man. Yeah. I see I, lo- I, I see, I love that. I love that more than I probably would have two years ago. Like I loved, I loved Aziz Ansari's one probably more than I should have loved. Like, I think the fact that he took the, he, he, he had the balls to fucking get a, to get that camera on the stage with him. Aziz Ansari's one. I mean, it was yeah. fucking directed by, by Spike Jones. So really, you're like, okay, there's Casual. definitely going to be more thought, thought, thought put into this. And just some of the creative decisions he made between, like, just, just for the show, you know, not not the stand-up itself i thought was really i thought was like yeah i really enjoyed and i think that's purely because i'm i've had the taste and i've looked on the other side of this curtain which is like the directing and then obviously hannibal barres and he and there he he did a lot of the the after effects but and the screen behind but if you notice i mean i watched it again he actually also has um a whole lighting rig there that does change as well with the mood and and different different gags and different stories and yeah i really like kind of that like multi yeah i think he really i think he really embraced it there and that just suits him perfectly yeah that fucking yeah there's like that that like what i think he got like what is it it was like flames or something like every now and again there'd just be like flames or just like fucking with the audio and oh with his audio like yeah 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 no same so you're looking at your special still you're going to film it next year or so my plan i'm kind of caught i'm kind of caught in between two thoughts my first thought is fuck just get it out there um there are people it's like it's i'm in a position i'm in a position where it's like i have this thing wrapped up and it's pretty pretty much wrapped up for like a year and a bit now where it's like i've done it i've I've, I've taken it to graham sound fest two years in a row and done it at the Baxter and I'm like I've got this I've got the show but the, the other thought is like I also want to kind of see what the world is like after this yeah um, and kind of go like is this possible is it yeah. this, is the same show yeah. even is, possible I mean, yeah is this I mean is this what I want is this is this what I want to put out is this my thoughts are these the thoughts is this is this because these were thought up, you know. Is this who I still am? This is who I am. Uh, is this how I want to be portrayed? Is this? Um, is Are this still my opinion? Is this the strongest? Yeah, like I think give give it all of that with the context of this, you know, new world. I think it still will be because a lot of it is pretty absurd. But I also don't, and also I'm debating whether I should speak about the elephant in the room. Or just kind of have it as like this absurd, not absurd. Uh, I, I keep saying absurd, but like absurdism in the sense of, I know I remember in high school like waiting for Godot, where it's like, yeah, cool. Let's just put out some. Let's just put out this crazy shit because we just had a war and depression, and let's go. You know, one doesn't really speak to the other. We're just really trying to entertain here. Let's go for it. You know, so so I'm there, but I I. I, definitely I think that's want the biggest question for a lot of us, actually. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting you there, but I, yeah, I do think so. Beginning of next year, you want to yeah. film, no, no. But but I do think that's one of the biggest questions for a lot of us going back, like when we do eventually go back on stage, 
because I I know I listened to that other podcast you did. Uh, well, what's it called? Comedy something. Oh, with like there were two American guys on it. They were talking about how they're still doing comedy. Oh yeah. Um, uh, comedy in your mouth. Co- comedy mouth. Mark, yeah. Will Will yeah. Will Mark Mark Norman and Mark and Will Sylvester. Yeah, because they were they were busy talking about like how they're doing open air comedy shows and stuff like that. But like for us, it's, you know, going to be a while still before we get on stage. And yeah, like I'm sure like that's, I think every comedian's thinking, do I tell jokes about this or not? Do I bother? Do I even bother writing any? Like, because when you get on stage, like is everyone just going to tell coronavirus jokes or, and you got to, I guess we, I guess the key would be to just, find ways to talk about your experience more than talking about the virus and like shit like that you know because while like i think there's a lot of stuff that we've all gone crazy with i think maybe there's ways to talk about that you know the the human experience of all of this more than just coronavirus and like you know the government and all of that shit (laughs) like i don't know it's i don't even know what like kind of material people want after this no, I, 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 I'm with you a hundred percent. I mean, I, I had written at the beginning of lockdown. I, I'd written, and I think this, I guess they still hold up, but I'd written a, um, some sketches, you know, because I'm now in a position where I'm like, fuck, I have, I have these sketches. I mean, I have, I have this, I have access to, to cameras. I can write scripts, and I can act in scripts, and I can direct scripts. So I'm like. Lockdown shouldn't have been as kind of isolated as as it was for me. But I know there was like, yeah. I mean, I'd written some, I'd written some scripts, and they were. I mean, I thought they were funny about like the cigarette ban and the alcohol ban and like all these crazy lockdown like regulations. And but then, but then like, fuck, is it like what is that? It, it just felt like such a knee jerk reaction. And I probably would have done it as stand-up because at least that's like an ever-growing and ever-evolving and you can kind of, you know, go with the times. And you can also have like a litmus test with the audience. And if you feel yeah. some sort of grimace... You yeah, you're not going to put it out to get cancelled immediately. Like, you're, you might get cancelled that night <laughs> yeah. in that room, but like, you're not going to film a whole yeah. thing, put it on the internet so they'd have your career ruined. <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, even just like, not even ruined, but it was like just feeling completely embarrassed about like what the fuck I was saying, you know, my thoughts about it have yeah. been changing so much. And so at first I was like, fuck these lockdown rules and fuck alcohol and fuck, you know, but like now I'm like, yeah, I mean, fuck, I'm feeling a lot of empathy for the government. And now I'm also like feeling a lot of like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm feeling like it's, it's, I feel like it's so dumb. Unless I'm feeling like this week could be changed tomorrow or the next week. Yeah. I'm feeling like how, 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 like I'm feeling so, I feel so stupid just to like be talking about cigarettes and alcohol when like thousands of people have died, you know? That's like, just get get over yourself. And like that, if I had put it out as a knee knee jerk reaction, I would have looked back and just been like, oh, fucking embarrassing. At least I would have, if I had watched it today. <laughs> At the well, time, we probably would like, have had a lot of DA voters agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm also, that's also been, I think, also a big factor <laughs> in in my like anti-lockdown, anti-government kind of rhetoric. It's been like, oh man, I'm I'm finding allies in pla- in places I don't want to. 
Um, exactly. And that's why I've just been keeping quiet and just reading <laughs> and just like listening. I'm not even doing, I'm not even listening anymore. Like I've muted 90% of the internet now. Like I don't give a fuck about anyone's opinions on anything anymore. That's what this lockdown has like really like made for me. It's just this whole thing of like, no, you're all fucking wrong. Like just constantly Yo, about everything the all the time. Like, I just don't want to hear, like, anyone's... Oh, shit, is that me? Or is that Laz? Is that... Yo, hello, I you... can hear you. Okay, you're back. <laughs> okay, cool, shit. Ah, shit. Uh, there was uh, awkward vibes, but I... that's the problem with not doing this in uh, person, is we do get little technical difficulties like that. But also, we have been chatting for, like, an hour and 20 minutes and this has been such a dope conversation, bro. Thank you so much for like your time and for sharing your story today. We're definitely gonna get you back on this fucking podcast. Because oh, I feel like we got an idea of your like life story, but it was more just like the specifics than the overarching like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Thing. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me, man. I, I love I love the ones that just fly by and doesn't feel like and and then when did you and you're like, oh fuck. <laughs> Um, same same old same old fuck i remember having ugh, anyway i remember having an interview yeah let's talk about it tell us more (laughs) interview with the citizen and it was just like some lady had come see my show come and see my show last year at at gramson and then she like and she was like oh cool um can i have an interview with you the next day i really enjoyed your show and then she interviewed me but she interviewed me because like from the perspective of having absolutely no idea who I was. So in her perspective, it was like, I'm trying to give this guy a break and I'm trying to break this story about this guy being, being brothers with another comedian. And I was just like, this is the fucking, I mean, shout out to the citizen, but this is like the worst. And this is just like, it's, it's, it was just an hyperbolized interviewer interviewee relationship. And it just, I just fucking hate those as opposed to just chatting. Like, yeah, you know. that's what I love about podcasting and about, yeah, just the way the internet and media has gone because it's allowed for me to be able to do this. And like I've interviewed so many people and I love being able to just have a conversation rather than the, like I, when I was on radio for a while, like the way they get taught to prep is like, so fucking boring man (laughs) it's just like it's just like the questions that they get told to like try and ask and like it's just not real it's just not like real conversations and yeah things that i personally care about so to me i'd rather chat to about shit that yeah like you care about and that i care about than try and be like get an angle i guess if that makes sense (laughs) yeah but cool. Yeah. Thank you for your time, bro. Um, Cheers, yeah, I'm looking bro. forward to seeing what you do manage to do when it comes to the one-man show because, yeah, the way you're talking sounds fucking dope. And then, I don't know, I'm, I might need a director for my show one day, so maybe one day we can also talk about that because I love your work, dude. I think, yeah, you're you're someone who I want to see, like, you know, do more or at least, like, be seen more, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I'm keen oh. to see what come, happens after this Corey V Cheers. situation. Cheers, dude. Thanks, Wubs. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll always... You, when, when, when the time comes, bruh, yeah, I'll be direct, I'll direct fucked up. 
<laughs> cool. We'll chat, bro. Later. Cheers, dude. Bye. Congratulations. You have made it to the end of yet another almost perfect podcast, which means you have won once again the opportunity to be promoted to. Head on over to almostperfect.co.za for more dope as fuck content from me. Yes, from me. Everything you see on that website, I did it, motherfuckers. So yeah, go check that shit out. Uh, top fives. There's a bunch of tops. No, there's not a bunch. There's two top fives in there. There's two other articles in there. But there will be more content coming out on that platform over probably the rest of my life. So head on over to almostperfect.co.za. A reminder that you can also support this podcast by heading over to patreon.com forward slash almostperfect. Or you can buy a mug from me. So yeah, you can get mugged by the one and only Bob Perfect by hitting me up at bob at almostperfect.co.za. Mugs are 100 rand. 10 rand goes to Sasonke. If you want to know more about Sasonke, go to sasonke.org.za. Later.